Welcome to Basic Brewing Radio for Thursday, December 22nd. I'm James Spencer. Here at Basic Brewing Radio, we're all about home brewing, making beer at home. Well, this week we talked to Brian Ellis, a member of the KGB, that's the Kirkendall Grand Brewers, a home brewing club out of Houston, Texas. We talked to Brian to get a peek inside an active homebrew club. The KGB has about 150 members, meets regularly, and sponsors an annual Big Batch Brew Bash homebrew competition. We'll talk to Brian in a couple of minutes. Well, I haven't been overwhelmed with response from last week's video version of our podcast, but the comments I have received have been very positive. There were a couple of uh, technical glitches that we had, but I think we've got those worked out. I want to thank Brian in Inglewood, Colorado, for being especially helpful because he owns a video iPod and was able to test the video for me. Maybe Santa will bring uh, me a video iPod this year so I can test the video myself, or I can buy one next year and write it off You know, as a, as a business expense. I have some ideas on how we can improve the quality of the video next time we do one, and uh, I need to do things like um, introduce myself and uh, let people know where to get in touch with us if they have comments about the show. But um, I think it all, it all went uh, pretty well. And uh, I want to thank uh, Steve Wilkes for coming along on the maiden voyage. Drew from uh, Maryland wrote in to say, As the podcast went on, a noticeable deterioration of your soberness was apparent. I find that my homebrew has the same effect on me. He says, I chuckled more and more as the show went on. Well, we did let our hair down a bit, uh, or, or at least, you know, what's left of it. I got a few uh, wish lists that came in after we recorded the show last week. Gibby wrote in and says, I brew very infrequently due to my career and family taking up a lot of my time. He says, I brew five or six times a year, 50 liters at a time. And that's uh, about 13 gallons for those of us on the old system. My wish, uh, Gibby says, my wish list looks like this. I would love to replace my homemade copper counterflow chiller with a therminator. I would love to replace pH papers with a pH meter. I would like to get a regulator and stainless oxygen stone. He says, but mostly I would like more time to brew, even if I don't get these items above. Our friend Wayne from Lansdale, Pennsylvania writes, Okay, below is a list of some of the stuff I would love to add to my homebrew equipment. A ferminator, that's a stainless steel fermenter from Blickman Engineering, a 40-quart brew pot with spigot from Polarware, a grain mill, a counterflow wort chiller or a therminator, like Gibby, a stainless, uh, uh, Wayne elaborates and says that's a stainless steel plate-type wort chiller, a cast iron propane burner, a cold plate draft box, a nitrogen draft system for stout, and of course, a separate temperature controlled room attached to the house that is designed and engineered by a brewmaster flown in from Germany for brewing my own beer and pumped to my basement tap room. <laughs> Wayne says, Now I just need to hit the lottery and all these dreams can come true. Well, good luck with that, Wayne. I- Hope you do hit the lottery. (laughs) CJ from uh, Frederick, Maryland says, I know this is a bit late, but I wanted to put in my wish for Christmas, a wort chiller. CJ's got simple wishes this year. Uh, CJ says, I only hope that Santa knows what I want, because at least if I haven't been good all year, I have brewed good beer. 
I think you get uh, points for that, CJ. He says, also, thanks again for the great program. Definitely my favorite podcast. Well, thanks, CJ. There's a lot to choose from out there. I appreciate that comment. And thanks again to everybody who shared their holiday wish lists for this past show. Well, you know, Christmas is a time for sharing, and uh, the guys at Craft Brew News Radio, or Pacific Brew News Radio, <laughs> I'll combine them together there. Uh, the guys at uh, Pacific Brew News Radio and Craft Beer Radio and I have been sharing beers. Uh, I sent each of them a six-pack of homebrew, and uh, if you listen to Pacific Brew News Radio this week, Rick and Mark sampled and judged a porter of mine. Very exciting. Uh, they seem to uh, like the beer and had some very useful, constructive criticism. So if you want to hear that, go to PacificBrewNews.com. And I appreciate Rick and Mark taking the time to do that. I sent them uh, five beers and a mead, and one of the beers is an extract. And I challenged them to pick it out, and I'll be interested to see if uh, they can do that. I sent the same six-pack to Jeff and Greg at Craft Beer Radio, and a few days ago I got beer from Jeff. It's a, it's a six-pack of three different homebrew batches that Jeff Bear made, and I can't wait to taste them. I've had a cold the past few days. You might be able to tell. So I, I haven't been able to taste anything. But uh, the cold is, is just about gone, and I, I can't wait to sample. So, so thanks to Jeff for sending the brews. And, you know, Rick, I'm, I'm still waiting for the shipment from uh, from California. <laughs> well, looking in the mailbag, Tim from Frisco, Texas, writes with a couple of questions. He says, I'm preparing to go from 5-gallon batches to 10-gallon batches and was concerned about my 50-foot immersion chiller working well enough to chill the wort to pitching temperatures. My concern is not uh, as much during the colder months, but during the hot Texas summers. Well, Tim, living in Arkansas, I can definitely identify with having hot summers, and chilling with an immersion chiller when the groundwater warms up is a challenge, especially with 10-gallon batches. When I make big batches, I chill them outside, and what I've tried recently is to coil the garden hose leading up to the chiller and put it into a tub or other container filled with ice. Uh, this cools the water down a bit before it gets to the beer, and helps to get the temperature below 80 degrees, which seems to be the challenge, getting down below 80 to a pitching temperature. Alternately, um, you might want to look at something like a counterflow chiller or even something more high-tech like the, um, the Therminator that uh, uh, Wayne and, and uh, Gibby mentioned earlier. Uh, if you're concerned about chilling times, you might want to step up to the next level of, of uh, chiller. Tim continues, uh, with regard to iodophore, how important is it that the sanitized items thoroughly dry before use? If they do not dry, will there be iodine flavors in your finished beer? And what about sanitizing the night before you brew? Uh, do you think it's okay to leave the equipment sitting overnight, or is there too much of a risk for possible infection? Well, I use iodophore, and in a perfect world, you'd have time to let everything dry completely. But in reality... When I'm brewing, there are some items that I forget to sanitize until the last minute, and they're not completely dry when I use them. Uh, I think as long as you use the proper dilution strength, I don't think you have anything to worry about with uh, a little bit of iodophore solution giving you off flavors. Uh, I would not leave sanitized items sitting overnight to dry 
um, because I don't think you need to. Of course, there are those who think differently, including one homebrew store owner that I talked to who said he could taste iodophore in every beer where the brewer had used it. I, I personally think he's imagining things, and I think all the professional brewers out there who use it uh, would agree. Uh, but if you're concerned about iodophore off flavors, you could do what Casey from Salem Springs does. Casey sanitizes with iodophore, then he rinses everything with boiled water. So it's all in what makes you happy and what you feel you feel comfortable with. Mike from Los Angeles writes with some thoughts about yeast. He says, I thought that your series with Dave Logston was fantastic. Well, thanks. In particular, I got hung up on an analogy Dave made about the differences between yeast strains. Dave explained the difference in yeast flavor profiles as being similar to the differences between one loaf of bread and another. Uh, Mike says, it got me thinking, has anyone tried making bread with beer yeast? Maybe it would be wasteful to make a loaf of bread with a fresh activator pack of Y yeast, but I wonder how things would go if I use an older culture that's just sitting in my fridge or even on a recultured basis. I just just thought I'd, he says, just a thought I figured I'd share. Well, that's interesting. I'm, I'm sure it would work. I, I wonder if anybody out there's made bread with, uh, with old beer yeast. Uh, by the way, Mike says, to prove what a geek I am, I noticed in the November 3rd podcast a comment to the effect, uh, and this was from Dave, he said, only brewers reuse yeast. And Mike says that's not entirely true. Bakers reuse their yeast when they make a good sourdough starter. So, good point. Finally, Jason wrote in from Pennsylvania. He says, I currently live in Berwick, Pennsylvania, but I'm going to be moving to Houston, Texas in early January. In your all-grain podcast, John Palmer mentioned that Houston has a problem with alkaline water. This concerned me that I might have a problem with my brews when I move. Um, Jason says, I brew mostly all extract and mini mash brews. I'm wondering if the alkaline water will affect my brews as well. Well, you know, sometimes timing is everything. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, Brian Ellis from Houston is joining us this week to talk about his homebrew club. So I emailed Brian and asked if he would help address Jason's concerns about Houston's water. Brian agreed to do so, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jason becomes the next new member of the KGB. So thanks to Brian for helping a fellow homebrewer out. And speaking of Brian, I got a letter from Brian several weeks ago suggesting that I do a show on homebrew clubs. I thought it was a great idea. So when it came time to do a show on the topic, I thought I'd go straight to the source. So Brian Ellis was more than happy to talk about his homebrew club in Houston, Texas. Well, we're, we're here to uh, talk about the KGB, and uh, it's not the KGB that most people are familiar with. Tell us about uh, tell us about your KGB. Well, we have a homebrew club called the Kirkendall Grand Brewers, and uh, we just call it the KGB, the acronym, and uh, uh, we play off the, obviously, the, the old Russian KGB, no longer around, but uh, we still keep that because everybody remembers it, and it's just kind of fun, and we have a tagline. Uh, our tagline is "Join the Party." KGB. <laughs> <laughs>
And I guess you guys have a little more fun than the uh, than the old, uh, more familiar KGB. I hope. I would I would hope so. <laughs> we we really do have a good time. Well, first of all, before we get into detail about talking about your club, tell tell us a bit about your experience in home brewing. How long you've been brewing, and and uh, you know I I understand you've you've won some contests and such. So now's your time to to brag. <laughs> I'm not really one to brag, but uh, <laughs> you know when it comes to beer and people ask, I, I'll I'll tell them where I've been, what I've done. Uh, sure, sure. I appreciate the opportunity to kind of gloat, so to speak. But it, <laughs> I started back when I was mid twenties. I'm, I'm 38 right now, and I started after college, graduated college, did my college uh, five year tour, um, and uh, got married and had a child, and um, somewhat settled down. Got into uh, bought a house, uh, and uh, I started appreciating different types of beer and. And uh, uh, because of that, um, some relatives of mine, actually my parents, um, thought it would be kind of neat to buy me a gift, and it was a, called the Beer Machine. Ah. And uh, that, that, that's a pretty neat product, uh, but I really didn't know what it was all about. I didn't know what I was doing. And so I tried it a couple times, and, and uh, oh, boy, there was, a, there was one incident where it exploded in the kitchen, and I think my wife was about to divorce me of two years. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to figure out a way to do it a little bit outside, number one, and number two, maybe a little bit uh, uh, better techniques. And I bought a book. I uh, bought a book from a local homebrew shop uh, locally here in Houston. It's called the DeFalco's Homebrew Supply. And I went there, bought a book. I read it. Uh, actually, my first book I bought is Dave Miller's uh, Brewing World's Great Beer. Hmm. So, and at, at what point did you get involved with the KGB? Well, I brewed myself uh, by myself for about about a year, and uh, that was I guess that puts it back to about 1996 is when I joined the KGB. I found out about the club itself through the homebrew shop. Um, this club did spawn from that homebrew shop. Actually, there was two uh, locations at the time, and this was the northern location. I live in the north side of town, and uh, they mentioned when I bought some ingredients for my, um, I was making an all-grain batch at the time, and, and they said, uh, have you thought about joining our KGB club? I was like, well, I haven't thought about it, but let me think about it. So went back and I realized people got tired of me talking about beer at work and at <laughs> home and uh, so I thought well let me go talk to people that care <laughs> so I, I walked up on I believe it was in April 1996 uh, into a gentleman's uh, the KGB had a meeting at somebody's house walked into the garage and with open arms they invited me in and the rest is history yeah I, I found out that uh Especially when I first started getting into home brewing, it's hard to stop talking about home brewing. When someone asks you a question about it, even though their eyes start to glaze over, and <laughs> but if you yeah. get into a, a batch of home brewers, you know you can go all day and uh, nobody's eyes will glaze over. Yeah, it's nice to talk to somebody and they like hearing it and they interject. <laughs> well, tell me a bit about the the history of the of the KGB. Well, sure. Uh, the, the history of the KGB, they started, it was, like I mentioned, it spawned from a, a home brew shop. And uh, basically, it was back in 94, I believe. And 
the employee as well as uh, customers, they were already getting together weekly, um, and they came up with some ideas uh, to be a little bit more organized, and they created this club called the KGB. Um, the first, the first czar, which we we call our president, uh, officer. Um, he, he when he joined, he immediately was voted in as czar. Uh, he had some experience and was associated with another homebrew club locally here in Houston called the Foam Rangers. They uh, they've been around many moons, I believe, over thirty years. Wow! And we 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 started uh, back in '94. Uh, just for the simple fact of it's a big city and it's it's hard to get around sometimes so uh, another club it was easy for another club to start up and uh, and it did spawn from from a local homebrew shop and, and then a uh, little bit more history it was it was loosely started and then finally got a little bit more organized by uh, 96 bylaws were actually created and uh, bylaws were designed specifically to get a checking account uh, more of a Nonprofit organization type checking account, and that was back, I believe, in '96. And then uh, that that really kind of from '96 to about '90, '97, '98 uh, was a time period of formalization. It, it really got a lot more formal. Um, bylaws were created. Um, specifically, the the bylaws spell out what the purpose of the club is and. And actually, I, I have that written down here. I, I prepared myself, but I'll read the mission of the KGB. Okay. The mission of the KGB should be to promote and participate in the science and craft of brewing beer products of sugar fermentation. In doing so, the KGB shall produce periodic publications, which is a newsletter, and conduct informational meetings on brewing and fermenting of malted grains. Of course, we have a monthly meeting that we meet, and uh, we do technical presentations. So, so that was created, and and then in '97, '98, uh, I got involved, uh, became a an officer. Um, in '96, actually, our we created a, uh, a homebrew competition, an AHA sanctioned homebrew competition uh, that our club sponsored, and that was it's called the Big Batch Brew Bash, and. Uh, I can. That's a whole story in itself, but yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a great competition. Uh, it's a single style competition, and unless I'm proven correctly, I believe it's the only and the largest single style AHA sanctioned uh, homebrew uh, competition. So that leaves us going to '97, '98. I get involved. I become uh, involved with the club. I, I I started out when I joined in '96, and in '97. I was voted in as, a, as the ruble collector, and by trade, that actually is a, a treasurer. And by trade, I'm an accountant, so uh, it's just easy fit. So you, the, the club started out in, in kind of a, an informal way, but why, why go in a more formal direction? What, what are the benefits, or, or why, you know, if you've got a group of uh, brewers who are now meeting, you know, just at somebody's house every week or so, or, you know, every month, Right. What would be the benefits of of writing bylaws and, and getting you know into a more formal club uh, structure? I think I think there's some benefits 
but it has to be the members have have to decide that this is what we want to do. It's not a it's not just the officers decide this. Uh, starting up a club, uh, there's another actual club in the Houston area that they want to maintain a looseness to it. They don't want to be as structured. They don't want to be uh, as as uh, as structured and that that other clubs are. Uh, the benefits of being structured, I guess, and it's. It's just a different way of, of doing the organization. It's not a bad thing, but um, the difference really is, is is you can get things done a little bit more efficiently and cleanly, and you're dealing with people's money. And mm. when you're dealing with people's money, you got to be very organized. Uh, here's the accountant talking, but it's true. Uh, when you're dealing with people's money, you don't want to be a loosely operated group. If you're not dealing with people's money, then, okay, it can be operated loosely. But when it comes to money, and as this uh, the homebrew club KGB started growing. It really started re- bringing in more members, which means more funds, which means we uh, were able to do more things for the membership. But that was dealing with a lot more money. And and you don't want Brian putting uh, club dues in his personal checking account. And <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So so tell me about. You said that there were you, you were able to do some things. Uh, for for the members what you know how much are the dues and and where do those go to well our club our dues are only twenty dollars a year and what that gets you of course is a monthly publication to the newsletter uh obviously you can go to the meetings uh you don't have to pay to go to the meetings but uh your twenty dollars just helps the club maintain uh financially it's a very nominal fee and uh and what that gets you, in addition to the newsletter, uh, you get some discounts to local uh, homebrew supply stores as well as you can get propane discounts uh, that I've just recently found out, um, local uh, brew pubs, um, some discounts on the pints of beer. So that that's a pretty good benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but more important to that, you know, the whole purpose of the club, and that's really to help people uh, learn more about beer uh, specifically, bettering their homemade beer, um, learning more techniques, and and there, there's a, a huge benefit of, of going to the actual meetings and learning specific techniques in, in, in homemade making beer. From from a, your own personal experience, what how did your skills improve? Uh, you know, what were you where were you at before you joined, and then where are you now, and and how much has the has the club membership uh, helped you out in that way? Yeah, when I well when I joined, I was already brewing. We have members that that join and uh, they actually we have members that don't brew at all. They just appreciate beer, <laughs> but uh, you know they say they intend on making beer, but they do participate. But when I joined, I, I was already making beer. I was already actually making all grain beer. Uh, but like I mentioned, the reason I wanted to join is just so I can have a voice and other I can hear what other people are talking about, uh, learning more about beer. And and it and it's true. Once you really start uh, networking, so to speak, and learning more what other people are doing, specific brewing techniques, um, tricks of the trade, so to speak, you really start practicing that and better better beer comes. Uh, you yell better, better beer. And uh, there's also a benefit of getting more knowledge about uh, homebrew competition. Um, I got into... Uh, sending beer off to get tasted and see if I can get a, a ribbon. And I was, I was real fortunate to get a few ribbons in my day uh, because I was able to learn all this stuff through the club. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can buy books, and I bought books. I have a huge library. I use them as my resource. I've read all of them. 
Um, but there's nothing like if you have a quick question to go and talk to somebody you just met at that club meeting or uh, a couple of months ago or something like that through the club. It really has been a big, big, big benefit to your beer. And there's also a benefit to having uh, other, you know, kind of experienced tasters tasting your brew. And, you know, if there is a little defect or something that you can improve on, they can point that out rather than, you know, just serving your beer to your family and having them say, yeah, this is great, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you really get an honest feedback, I tell you. And and that that, that is true. That is, you get that instant feedback from somebody that, that, that knows about beer. As opposed to, you know, somebody say, oh, this is horrible. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, and, and you get the, it's the difference between someone who, you know, uh, just is, is used to uh, American-style pilsners drinking drinking a good homebrew uh, right. and not knowing what they're tasting, and then someone who is experienced and, and uh, you know, maybe even has some experience in judging competitions, you know, giving you some actual uh, feedback to, to help you match the styles and to help you uh, improve your beers and improve your chances in competitions. So so you, you do the uh, the annual uh, Big Batch Brew Bash. Very and, good. And did, did I, well, I'm, I'm reading off the website. I'm cheating. Uh, <laughs> sure. But uh, this this past year it was, the, or this past one was Porter's? Was Is that what I read? Uh, I believe it, so. Yes, the Robust Porter's. And then the next one is going to be an Imperial IPA. Yes, sir. And uh, the part of the part of the the spoils, part of the winnings uh, or the prize is to brew. Is it at a at a local brew pub and have a batch of your brew actually be brewed in the brew pub? Is that what I read? And that's what you read. Is actually uh, St. Arnold's is a microbrewery. Ah, and. Uh, they're a very successful microbrewery. They're they're one of the few that have uh, been fairly successful down here in Texas. Um, we had a the go around of a whole bunch of brew pubs that opened up. I don't want to get too much into this, but unfortunately, a lot of them went away. And uh, so when St. Arnold's opened up, I believe it was it's been about ten, maybe no, ten plus years, about ten plus years. Uh, we we have a really tight relationship with them as home brewers and. Their marketing's been really ingenious. They don't really do the big radio and big mega brewer type stuff. They use the homebrewers, and mm. they know if homebrewers drink it, they're going to they drink good beer. They're going to come and buy my beer, and and, and and they like to talk about beer, as we've said before. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so the winner of this competition gets to brew their uh, a big batch of their own beer that Absolutely. that gets released. As a special release from the from the brewery, exactly. And a little history uh, on the Big Batch Brew Bash. It really spawned from a Christmas uh, meeting that our club had at the brewery um, back, I believe, in '95. And after that uh, meeting, a gentleman by the name of John Donaldson, who is an excellent brewer, and uh, he has been around with our club just about since the infancy, and he really spawned the idea of the Big Batch Brew Bash with a couple other people. And uh, we built a relationship with uh, the owners of the microbrewery, and they thought it would be a great idea. And I believe the first one was in 96. And the intent was, and the, the draw was, the winner, potentially that winning recipe will be the next beer that they're going to distribute, make and distribute. And it did. And actually it was a porter. 
um, and it actually was tweaked and was uh, distributed created by St. Arnold's as a stout. It's their winter winter stout, ah. which is still in production today. And as I I think I read that at the uh, at the tenth annual uh, Big Batch Brew Bash, there were seventy three porters uh, entered. So that's got to be challenging to judge. I mean, it's got to be challenging to judge a a standard homebrew contest with all the the different categories. But um, how is that different to judge a, a contest with just the single category? Well, it is a challenge. Uh, we do it all the same day. And uh, I was the organizer back in 98. And uh, at that time, it was a wheat, I believe, was the style. And we actually had a couple of categories. We did a, a dark wheat, light wheat. Uh, we did a, a wheat box, I believe. So it was, it was a little a little bit more challenging when it comes to that because there was really only first, second, third place. And you can have an excellent uh, heavy heavy bison, and and it gets beat out because of the heavier beers uh, people have been drinking or, or judging all day mm-hmm. uh, overpower those lighter beers. But uh, the single style, uh, you, we just have a really good uh, grouping of uh, BJCP um, judges here, and and of course everybody probably knows that's Beer Judge Certification Program mm-hmm. and AHA, um, and we uh, the, in conjunction with other uh, homebrew clubs locally here in Houston, uh, we have ample people to come out and judge. So we judge them in numbers. Just regularly, uh, what's a, what's a what's a regular meeting like uh, with the KGB? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, we drink beer. <laughs> Surely not. <laughs> no, seriously. We 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 uh, had built a really good uh, agenda, um, and it may be very similar to other clubs. Uh, we 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 try to still be somewhat loose. We even though we're organized, we try to still have fun and not make it too, uh, you know, political or what have you. We really try to make it fun, and we like to invite people to the meetings. They don't have to join; they can come. We like to bring your family, what have you. So. And we are very. Uh, we try to be very family oriented, as well as uh, conscious about we are drinking beer, making sure people are safe and don't drink too much and whatnot. But we start out with the social, just people coming in uh, slowly. Uh, typically, it's going to be either at somebody's house or it's going to be at a, a brew pub or it's going to be at, a, at, a, at just a good beer bar um, or the homebrew shop um, or the microbrewery. Um, but we we've really built over the years a, a pretty good agenda, and it's pretty much stuck the last couple of years. But you start out first year, uh, I mean the first hour, uh, doing a little social, people tasting beer that they want other people to taste and whatnot. Um, if there is an event, for example, we have inner uh, club homebrew competitions. Just people in our club can do these competitions. Can actually uh, get their beer entered and, and get a ribbon. Um, they're, it's real small. You know, usually you have about 40 or, or, or 30 people that actually enter beers. But if that's going on at a particular meeting, then that gets implemented pretty quick. So by the end of the meeting, we can announce who the winners are. Uh, we do the judging. and, and But we always have food. Uh, like I said, we try to be conscious about uh, people drinking beer, but being safe. And every, every meeting is different theme, different type of food. Uh, we have uh, chili cook-offs. We have um, salsa cook-offs or salsa competitions. Uh, there's always food. We have a spud fest 
um, just baked potatoes and a whole bunch of toppings. We have a steak out where we grill steaks outside. That's in the summertime. But we always have food. Um, there's always a keg of the month. It's a homemade beer that, or several keg of the month. Uh, several different uh, people have brewed one. Um, so that's always on tap. We usually have uh, another commercial uh, brewery um, beer on tap, but not necessarily always the case. Uh, I'd say about 50% of the time. And then we get into official business. Uh, the czar get, puts on an actual Russian KGB hat. Uh, I forgot <laughs> how, where that came from, but he actually wears this KGB hat, and and he welcomes everybody to the to the group and th- does any kind of thank yous and talks a little bit about the past month or, or the last meeting or any old business, um, any kind of announcements. Uh, he mentions announcements and and uh, if there's anything to bring to light from the club, uh, any items that they need to act upon or or vote upon. And then people go on their business, and we break a little bit, and then uh, we get into a uh, beer of the month. And this is our technical presentation, um, where uh, our Commissar Bruski, um, it's, a, it's a title that somebody's given as an officer that their, their responsibility is to go out and find beer, um, however they want to do it, whether it's by style, whether it's a horizontal or a vertical, just one brewery, or uh, a regional um, or just all brew pub beer, or whatever they want to do. And, and they come back and they talk about not only the history of this beer, the style, uh, the BJCP style guidelines, um, but we, of course, of course, we drink it while we're getting some information. But also technical, uh, this turns into more of a technical presentation as well. Um, sometimes we go out and, and uh, I believe it was last summer we did Mexican beers. Well, people got to really smell that uh, skunky smell. <laughs> so, you know, we, we try we try to really honestly stick to our our mission, and that's to learn learn about beer and, uh, and in a lighthearted way, but yeah. at the same time, you know, learn about beer. Well, it sounds like you it sounds like you have fun. And how how many people are in the club, and about how many uh, come to the meetings? Uh, about. Third, come to the meeting, uh, no more than about 50. We have about 155, 156 members. Um, I was, uh, in, when I was the czar, there was less than 40, um, and that was in 1998. So the club's incredibly grown, and a lot of this growth happened probably, I'd say, about three or four years ago. It really just started picking up, and uh, it, I I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but I, I noticed the correlation that as the brew pubs started going away, hmm. for some reason people started wanting to make homemade beer. So. <laughs> well, I guess I guess there there is a uh, there is good and bad. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So good, it's good for the club, and uh, you know, and and the beauty of it is, is the more people you have, obviously you have you know the membership fees and dues that that help uh, bring in more beer and more things that we can do, more events and uh, more benefits to the members as a whole. But these people, um, these are members, you know, they they have jobs and they go travel and um, they can bring back beers that we can't get here lo- locally. So we every, every meeting we always have beer that, you know, you can't get here. And so that's another great benefit. Well, if if, uh, if listeners out there want to want to know more about the Kirkendall Grand Brewers Club, where can they go to find that out? 
Well, they can simply, of course, go to our website, which is thekgb.org. That's T-H-E-K-G-B.org. Correct. Don't, don't just go to KGB.org because that's like some security firm or something. <laughs> that's right. So that's right. T-H-E-K-G-B.org. T-H-E-K-G-B.org. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, Brian, and uh, I, I wish you luck with the club. Thank you very much, and uh, good luck with your podcast. I, I'm looking forward to not only this issue, uh, but the next ones in the future. Thank you, sir. Well, thanks again to Brian Ellis for telling us about the KGB. I'll put a link to his uh, club's site along with a link to the page on uh, the American Homebrew Association's site on how to set up a homebrew club from scratch. Well, next week we head south of the border with Chris Colby of Brew Your Own Magazine as we talk about Vienna lagers. And in a couple of weeks we'll hear an interview with Ray Daniels, author of Designing Great Beers, as we talk about hop bitterness and the factors in brewing that influence IBUs. Very exciting. It was a great interview. Uh, If you have brewing questions, show suggestions, or just want to say hey, write to james at basicbrewing.com or just fill out the contact form on basicbrewing.com. And please don't forget to tell us where you're from. And uh, I want to, while we're uh, on the subject of the site, I want to say thank you to everybody who's clicked on our um, Amazon dot com associates link and uh, has ordered some Christmas items and such through the site. I appreciate the support there. And uh, don't forget, you know, we've got t-shirts and everything, t-shirts for sale. And uh, and we've also, you know, if, you, if you're wanting to get into home brewing for the first time, uh, while you're on our site, you can check out our DVD, uh, Basic Brewing Introduction to Extract Home Brewing. We'll walk you through the process step by step. You can see a listing of the fine folks across the country who sell our DVD while you're on the site. And uh, if there isn't a vendor in your area, you can order it online. Well, that's all until next week. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm James Spencer. Production help for Basic Brewing Radio and our website is provided by Kelly Dotson. Basic Brewing Radio is a production of Active Voicing. We'll talk to you next time. So long. So long.